Amen. Well, listen, we're starting this series called Ghosted. And, and when we moved to uh, Sutton years ago, we've been in Sutton now uh, 14 years almost. And when we moved here, um, we moved from Ashland and our kids got involved in the school. We, we, they went to the public school here in Sutton. And we had, we had to meet some families and got to know people in our neighborhood. And all that was beginning. But this was the summer of 2006. And in the fall of 2006, of course, the kids are in school. And um, that fall, um, I think it was the fall of 06, when Halloween came around, we don't, we don't really celebrate Halloween for all, all kinds of reasons. I'm not going to go there today. I just, we don't really participate in it. But, but this particular year, what happened was our kids went to school. It was in the Halloween season. We're in October. Our kids went to school. And some of their friends, particularly Ashton's, who are a little older, were talking about having been ghosted. They were saying, oh my gosh, I got ghosted last night. Did you get ghosted? And someone else was saying, oh, I haven't been ghosted. And how come? And why not? And, and there was a sadness about the, the, the not yet having been ghosted. And there was a celebration of having been ghosted by kids who'd already done it. Now, here's how it worked. What would happen is at your house on a particular night, you know, a couple of weeks before Halloween, someone would show up at your house and they'd put a little, a little bag on the, on the front porch with a little note on it. And they would, you know, kind of ding dong ditch you. If you remember that, they would ring their doorbell. They would knock on the door. They would do something and they would kind of try and get away before you got to the door and opened it. But when you did get to the door and opened it, there on the porch was this little bag and a note. And the note basically was a clever poem or a cute, cute rhyme that the, the, the child had written or the teenager had written that that basically said, you've been ghosted. You don't know who's done it to you, but how lucky and how blessed and how privileged are you to have gotten ghosted? Now, here's the thing. Don't keep it all to yourself. Before the next night comes, you prepare and ghost somebody else. There was this idea that began in the, in the, in the school for my kids of, oh my gosh, when are we going to get the ghosting? When is ghosting going to happen to us? When is, when is someone going to show up and, and leave the, the beauty of the ghosted experience for us to partake in? And every night that passed that someone didn't ghost our house, our kids would be like, oh, does nobody like us? How come we can't be ghosted? What about us? Does anybody know us? We're new. Maybe they don't know. Does anybody think, maybe they don't think we live here. There was an expectation and a sadness of missing out on this ghosted experience. At the same time, once it happened, once somebody did that, our kids were celebrating like crazy. Look at this. We finally got our ghosting. And then they were so excited to go and play a part in preparing to go do that and give that away and that experience to someone else. I want to talk to you about the Holy Ghost. And, and, and here's, here's what I want to set up for you is I think that so many people have a misunderstanding, a misperception about what the Holy Ghost is. Now, we don't use Holy Ghost a lot in the modern kind of era of the church. We use Holy Spirit a lot, and it's appropriate, nothing wrong with that. But in the King James, actually, Holy Ghost is the translation most of the time. And I know we're not in Halloween, but I thought, you know what? What a, what a phenomenal parallel between the way people should be thinking about the experience with the Spirit of God, the, the Holy Ghost, like our kids were expecting the experience of the, the Halloween fun ghosting moment. And so here's what, here's what I think. I, I, the ghosting has, a, has another reference, and we'll talk about it next week. When, when you get ghosted in a dating experience, that's a whole other story. But today, I, I, want, I want to just start with this. I think so many of us, there are a lot of you, who maybe have been new to the kingdom of God. Maybe you've said yes to Jesus just in the last few weeks, months, or years. Maybe you came from another part of the country, another denomination. Maybe you have no faith background at all. And the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is an unknown to you. I want to I read this. This is Acts chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. You're not alone. 
if you are unfamiliar with or you have not engaged the Holy Ghost. And, and, and that doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make you a, a, an, a, an immature Christian. It means perhaps that someone hasn't gone and ghosted you, so to speak, like my kids experienced and wanted to experience when they were in school. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So we have a book of the Bible called Ephesians. It was a letter written to the people at Ephesus. And this is a a place where Paul is kind of beginning his journey with Ephesus. And when he gets there, the scriptures continue and it says, and there he found some disciples. And then he had a question for him. Now listen, the word disciples does not indicate that they're just, they're, they've never been around church or faith, never heard the gospel, don't know of the resurrection. When Paul got there, he found people who'd heard about Christ, heard about the resurrection, said yes to Jesus. They had surrendered their life to the way. They had put themselves in harm's way with the government of the day. They were disciples. And he asked a question. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And their answer to him was, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. Here's what I want to say to you. There are a whole bunch of you that are joining us at Lifesong that have never been ghosted. <laughs> you're, not sure what, you're not sure what the Holy Ghost is. You're not sure why that word matters. And then there are a whole bunch of us who are familiar with it. And we engage it casually. And then there are some of us who are more deeply invested. In fact, we have surrendered not only to Christ, but we've invited the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit to come with all that is manifest by virtue of that infilling moment, that presence, the, 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 it's on the doorstep and now it's yours to take in and experience the fullness of. So we got a whole gamut. So I want to take a little time today and make sure that we all understand and know, at least at a fundamental base level this week, a little bit about the Holy Spirit. And and I love this. Oswald Chambers says this. He said, the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit is the first power of God, right? The, The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the first power that we practically experience, but the last power that we come to understand. What, he's, what he was saying is that when we begin to engage God, when we hear the story of the gospel, someone lives a life out loud, a bright lighted life where God himself, uh, who's rescued them as their father through Jesus Christ, you see a light in the world around you. They relate to you in a way you're like, that's different. You experience some things in your relationship with them. You go, wow, what is that? And you are drawn to the Father. The scriptures tell us the Spirit's drawing us. So we experience the Spirit's actions as a drawer. And yet, it's the, 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 the person of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity, that we come to find out and learn and discover and understand the least about. He's the latest in the journey. And for many of you, that's the case right now. You know who God is. You understand that, that God is a Father. He's loving. You've you got a picture from the Old Testament and the New Testament. You get Jesus, the Gospels, the story, the, the moment of his ascension. But the power of the Holy Spirit that work, begins to work out after the engagement of God through Christ is unfamiliar. Number one, you're not alone. It's okay. It doesn't make you weird, odd, or different. It just means that it's time to, to lean into the, to that part of your relationship with the, with the, with the Godhead. But, but secondly, um, this didn't just begin with you. So here's, here's what I want us to do. I want you to write down this big idea, and then I'm going to give you some, some uh, fundamentals here. So knowing who we are, last week we talked about this, knowing who we are as sons and daughters, we're adopted sons and daughters of God, 
and we are heirs of a divine inheritance, we should know what it means to be fully engaged to that family, right? That God is our Father, Christ the Son, and we're adopted as sons, and then the Holy Spirit is part of the family. It's in, 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 innate. He's innate to the nature of the Godhead. So I want you to write this down. This is your big idea. To experience all God has, I first have to engage all that God is. To experience all that God has, I, I, I have to engage all that God is. It's impossible for me to get the full benefits of the Godhead when I only pay attention to two-thirds of it. If all I want to do is engage my mother in my house, if all I do is engage my mom, there are things about my father's you know, nature, action, responsibility, purpose that I'll never experience the full measure of if I never nurture the relationship with both parents. And the same thing is true in the other direction. If as a parent, I only ever invest in the relationship with two of my three children, there are things about my life and, uh, that, that will always be less than they could be because I left a third of my children out of the equation. And I just want to say to you, God Almighty left us the Holy Spirit. When Jesus left, he talks about it. In fact, we'll get to that in a little bit. But the Holy Spirit was left for us to fully know, fully engage, fully embrace, fully be led by and infilled by. And there's a lot that is part of our inheritance that's tied and, and connected to that. So let's look at this a little bit. Um, some people say to me things like, you know, Pastor David, was the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? You know, is that just a New Testament thing? And if it is just in the New Testament, you know, does that mean really that the Spirit of God is part of the Godhead? Well, first of all, I, wa I want you to, to jot this down. Refreshment and empowerment are marks of the Holy Spirit. Refreshment and empowerment are marks of the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. And we see this in the Old Testament. The, the Spirit of God, the, 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 the Hebrew word for the Spirit of God is ruach. Ruach. It's, it's used 238 times in the Old Testament. And it means this. It means a breath or a wind, a violent exhalation. Ah, this, this, this significant, purposeful, um, energetic expulsion of breath. Ruach. And it's the, the first place we see this word is actually in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 2, in the creation experience. Now, that's not the only place, and the word ruach is used for a couple of other types of breath. But when we read the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, it's ruach. It's this exhalation. It's this breathy, airy transference of, of, from one lung to the other. Now, I know right now... We're in this weird season with COVID where we don't want people breathing. We, we think that, you know, every person that breathes is going to transmit, you know, this disease. And while that's not true, certainly there's sensitivities around who might or who might not. And so we've got these kind of dynamics, these odd dynamics from masks to social distancing. But I want you to understand something, that the nature of the Spirit of God is an up-close personal transference. The nature of the Holy Spirit is a you feel it, it's breathy, it's up close to you, it is transference and transferable. That's the nature of the Spirit of God. Listen to this. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What hovers over there? Have you, ever, have you ever done this? My wife and I and my kids, we went to the Cape yesterday and went on a bike ride for her birthday. We had a great time. But as we ride, we ride by some ponds and, and water and some marshes and whatever. And if you ever look at the water in the morning particularly or maybe late in the day as the temperatures are shifting, the atmosphere is changing. 
we find that not, there's not just a body of water, but there's a foggy mistiness that sits above it. That is the description of how the Spirit of God was in the creation. He's hovering over the face of the water, this breathy mistiness. And now that can seem really kind of mystical. It can cause us to go, woo, that's kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of, Odd. I don't know how to relate to that. God as a father, I get Jesus the son. But the spirit of God is this misty kind of breathiness. Well, that, that's what he is. And, but, but, he, but he's a refresher and he's an empowerer. And we see that begin in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 41, uh, we see that what happens as the spirit of God is actually on us or in us, that we are an empowerer. We are a refresher. He flows through us and we aren't doing the refreshing or empowering, but through us, refreshment, empowerment, visible difference is a part of our life. In Genesis 41, Pharaoh was referencing um, Joseph and, and dreams and interpretation of dreams. And the story of Joseph is another message, but there's a moment where the Pharaoh says to his officials, can we find anyone else like this man? So obviously, listen to this, filled with the spirit of God. In other words, the the nature of who Joseph was, the supernatural ability to interpret dreams, to declare truth, to survive some some really difficult things, to bring, uh, to have integrity in his testimony, so many things was tied to and visibly, obviously a part of, recognized by the Pharaoh. So... What do we do with that? We see the, in the Old Testament, the judges of Israel uh, are often referred to as having the spirit of the Lord or the Ruach come upon them. Whether it's Othniel or Samson, they, they're strengthened, they're emboldened, they're empowered, they're, they're, they're charged with, a, with a, uh, an unction that leads them to act in ways accordance with the will of God. And he, in, in, in this case, many of those are judges of Israel. They're going through and actually both leading and directing and correcting. There's a, there's a spirit of God that empowers. In fact, when we read in the Old Testament where Moses goes out into the desert and we find the tabernacle being built and they're being led through the wilderness, Scripture says that they are led by both a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, I just want you to think about this and and, and every commentator that writes about this talks about how this is, the, this is the manifestation of the Spirit's presence in leading the nation of Israel. That it's a coverer and protector and refresher by day when the sun is out. That the clouds break up the sun. They protect them from the heat. They bring refreshing from rain from the cloud, right? There's a misty cloud by day. And then at night when they need to be protected from, from the the, the wildlife, when they need to have light to see by, when they need heat in the cold, that there's a comforting protection and empowerment that the fire represents. And so we see the Spirit of God playing out in his nature from the beginning of creation and through the stories of the Old Testament. And this is really important because so many people I talk to say the Holy Spirit had a brief season. You know, Jesus talked about him, and then we experienced him in the New Testament. But then when the word was codified and the scriptures came, the Holy Spirit was done with his work on the earth. That's just, that's not true. He, he, he was on the earth and at work before Jesus arrived. He was part of the journey to bring God's plan for humanity and creation fully to pass. And he was at work in creation, at work through the, the Old Testament, at work in and on and through Jesus, which we'll read about in a second, and was empowered to be an empowerer for us 
in Jesus' departure. And so it's really, really a big deal. If you're already surrendered to Jesus, you and I together need to begin to lean into the invitation for all that the Holy Spirit, the ghost, has for us. In other words, I just want you to say this in your living room right now, just wherever you are, just look at somebody and say, I'm ready to be ghosted. Go ahead and say it. I'm ready to be ghosted. Go ahead. Listen, I know, I know nobody else can hear you. And so you're like, he won't know if I did it, but I'm telling you the Holy Ghost will know. So you better say it. Okay. So here's the thing. Let's look at the, let's look at the New Testament real quick. The New Testament. Because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost is visible in the Old Testament. We see his arc of involvement and engagement. And then we come to the, the New Testament after, uh, after the, you know, the, the 66th book, or excuse me, the 39th book of the Old Testament. I know I said that last week. There are not 66 books in the Old Testament. 39th book of the Old Testament. We get to Malachi. We get into the Gospels. Jesus is on the scene. And there's a, in the Old Testament, it's written in, in Hebrew. And, and, and in the New Testament, it's written, uh, the Bible is generally written in Greek. And so there's a Greek word for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. It's the, it's the Greek word pneuma. And it's used 385 times in the New Testament. And it, listen to the definition. It's amazing the way God has made visible for us the consistency of his character, including the nature of his spirit. He says, this is what the word means. It means a current of air, a blast of breath, or a really strong breeze. It's it's personal. It's felt. It's felt. But sometimes it can only be felt if it's up close, like a breath. That's pneuma. The Spirit of God. And, 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 and just, so you're, just so we're clear, right? Holy Ghost, the reason the word was shifted a little bit is in you know, the interpretation, the description. And I think it's certainly a more effective and more clear description of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. But Holy Ghost has a, has a measure of, of weight to it that, that the Holy Spirit doesn't quite feel the same way. When you say someone, talk to someone about being filled with the Holy Ghost or, you know, there's a Holy Ghost moment. There's a sense of kind of, hmm, about that. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use them interchangeably for the series, but, but this is what I want you to hear. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Jesus uh, being talked about here. John the Baptist says, I indeed baptize you. And John the Baptist was the forerunner before Jesus. He was the way preparer. And he says this. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. In other words, when you go down into water and come up out of it, you are identifying with um, the, the new life, the new birth. You are, your old things are passed away. All things become new. We come up out of the water, kind of leaving our old man washing away in the moving waters of repentance. Okay. He says, I baptize you with water unto repentance. And by the way, oh my gosh, this is for free. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to be having a baptism. And uh, no matter what context we're in, we're having a baptism. I know so many of you have said yes to Jesus and uh, have been waiting to get baptized. And then over the last couple of months, I'm amazed just at the way the Holy Spirit of God has drawn people unto himself and people that have raised their hand and said yes to Jesus week after week after week. We want to help you take the next step and that is baptism. It's going to be amazing. We want to do that. If you haven't, kind of said, yes, I, I want to get baptized. Talk to me about baptism. Let's get engaged. I, I hope you will do that with one of our hosts right now and just say, hey, that's me. I'm ready to be baptized. I need to be baptized. You, you, we want to walk that with you. So John says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I am, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. And listen to this. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So we see John declaring 
what he himself would know about the, the nature of the Old Testament, that the, the Holy Spirit of God has been here all along, is innate to the, the Godhead. But he says, when the, when the Messiah comes, when the one for whom I prepare the way arrives, he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so we have a, a, a clear direction that Jesus is going to do something as it relates to the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, fire had particular purposes and reasons. I don't want to dig too far into this right now, except to say fire did a few things. It did purifying, cleansing, refining. It, did, um, it, was, it was a source of heat and power. It was a source of, of energy. So there was, there was a metaphorical uh, communication taking place as much as there was a literal declaration. And we see this, which we'll get to when we, when we read the Acts experience of Pentecost, uh, which we're going to do in a couple of weeks, but we're not going to do that today. Uh, we're going to do that actually on Pentecost Sunday. So on May the 31st, it's Pentecost Sunday. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be the third week of this series. And, and we'll read this experience about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost falling with fire. So, so you want to stay, stay, stay with us for that. But John says, Jesus shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So what we know right there is that the Holy Ghost is going to be and play an important role in both Jesus' ministry and post-Jesus' ministry. The Holy Spirit is not something that was done away with in the Old Testament, nor was he something only for Jesus, but he will be something, someone that is important on the backside of and the follow-up to what Jesus does. He'll be part of his ministry, and he will be delivering the Holy Spirit experience to those that follow Jesus. Now, Again, I want to say this again. Some of you have a faith experience and your denominational experience, your experience with, with, with religion, faith, Christianity has taught you that the Holy Spirit is weird or he's odd or he's unnecessary or he's an afterthought or just simply because you surrendered your life to Jesus, that's all the Holy Spirit you need. You have access to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And while, while I would agree that in our salvation, we come into relationship with the Godhead, not just two out of three, I would say that it's clear there's more to the Holy Spirit than simply our awareness of him by virtue of our salvation. Now, it also is really clear that the Holy Spirit is not necessary for our salvation, meaning an experience of baptism, uh, 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 an infilling, an empowerment. Our salvation is tied to our accepting the free gift of Jesus, the grace of God through faith because of Jesus. He's the one who paid the price. He's the one who made our salvation possible. However... There's clearly more that is available. So, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Let me read you this, this next verse. This is Matthew chapter 12, and it's quoting Isaiah 42. It says, look at my servant whom I have chosen. Jesus is reading this. This is, this is written about the coming Messiah. And then Jesus reads, he says, look at my servant whom I have chosen. He's my beloved who pleases me, which is exactly the language that we hear God declare when Jesus goes into the waters of baptism and comes out. We hear God say from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Isaiah chapter 42 prophesied this moment. I'm just telling you, connect these dots and you'll understand how powerfully important the Holy Spirit, the ghost, is. Look at my servant whom I've chosen. He's my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him. And he will proclaim justice to the nations. He won't fight or shout or raise his voice in public, which Jesus did not do in defense of himself. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. And finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. Listen to this. And his name will be the hope of all the world. So the spirit of God is present from creation to today. He is 
powerfully at work as an empowerer and refresher. That's a mark of the Holy Spirit. Our de depletion can be met by the engagement of full engagement and infilling of the Holy Spirit. We can be empowered for many, and we're going to talk about them next week, empowered for some things as a result of it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, this is the way Paul ends a lot of what he says. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what makes us new, new creation. May the love of God, which 1 John says is the definition of God. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which is koinonia, the communion of, the full engagement and communion with the Holy Spirit. Not an awareness of, the, of him as part of the Godhead. The communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So here's what I want to give you quickly as we, as we start to close. Again, I just want to establish a good baseline. And I want you saying, I want the ghost. You ready? Our spiritual vulnerability is that we try to live independent of the Holy Ghost. Our spiritual vulnerability is that we try to live independently of him. We, our vulnerability is that we say, I, I, I believe in God the Father, I've accepted Jesus the Son, and now I'm supposed to walk around and act and look and behave and think like a Christian without engaging the intimate relationship of the Spirit of God, the ghost. And so, what do we do with that? Well, here's what, here's what I want you to see. In the New Testament, there's a word. It's the word para, parakletos. It's only used five times, and every time it describes the Holy Spirit. And all of those times, it is translated four times as comforter, one time as advocate. Comforter and advocate. Parakletos. I want you to hear this verse. I want to give you a, a bit of a, a story as we close. In John chapter 14, verse 26, it says this. It says, but the comforter, parakletos, which is the Holy Ghost. The comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Parakletos, the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, everything that I have said to you. So our ability to walk fully in the light of what Jesus has taught, fully in the measure of what God has made possible to us as heirs, is brought to our remembrance by our parakletos, our helper, the comforter. The, the primary purpose of that Holy Spirit is to comfort, to refresh, to help in our weakness, in our difficulty, in our infirmity. He's not weird. He's not absent. He's breathy. He's beautiful. He's refreshing. It will engage him. Now listen to this. John 16 says, but in fact, it is best for you, all of us, that I go away. I have never, ever thought to myself, I'm so glad Jesus left. And I don't think the disciples were expecting it either. But Jesus said a wonderful thing. He said, it's better that I go away because if I don't, the, para, the parakletos, the advocate can't come or won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. And then Jesus defines it. And he says, the world's sin is it refuses to believe in me. Another place in scripture says anything that is not of faith is sin. In other words, our deepest sinful mistake is disbelief. It's the absence of trust of Jesus Christ. That's, that separates us forever from God. God wants us to be pure and holy and integritous in every way. Of course he does. And the Holy Spirit guides us into all of that. It bubbles to things of service. But Jesus defines the conviction of the world's sin as disbelief in him. 
And then it says righteousness is available because I go to the Father. In other words, what I've done can make you righteous and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged and that is the coming judgment on Satan. Now here's what I want you to, to get. I, I, this idea of the Holy Spirit as our comforter, as our, as our helper, as our advocate. I know all of us want it, but I want to give you a real tangible example of it. In, in a, a guy named Tom Tripp from uh, Calusa, California tells this story and describes this. In a, in a book, um, Healing of the Masculine Soul, the author, Gordon Davey, says that when Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a helper, he uses the word paraclete or paracletos. And this was an ancient warrior's term, get this. Greek soldiers went into battle in pairs. So right now, where you are, I want you to get someone beside you. Or in fact, it'd be even better if you would to stand up. I want you to stand up right where you are beside someone. If, there, if there's someone else in the room, maybe it's your child. I just want you to stand up next to somebody. Go ahead, get shoulder to shoulder with them. Kind of get up close. You're in your house. It's okay. No social distance required. Get up close. It says that the warrior would, would, would go into battle in pairs. They would be together. They would be assigned one and two. And they would go into battle together. And the reason for this was so that whenever there was the need for, for warfare, when they would get into a, a, a fight, when they would be challenged or be attacked, they had the capacity to turn back to back, covering each other's, each other's blind side. One, one's battle partner was called the paraclete. In other words, my partner in battle, my helper, the one who brought me comfort, the one who, who took up for me, the one who got my backside was the one who, when I had to turn to face an enemy, they would guard my rear. They would protect all that was going on. My super deep, confident trust was that my paraclete would watch my backside. And so right now, I want you right there, whoever you're standing next to, just turn to them back to back for a second. I want you to feel that for a minute. Feel your backside up against another person. There's a, a sense of comfort. You can't feel that comfort when you're far away. You can't feel that comfort when you're far apart. You're six feet away and you turn back. So you're not sure. Are they actually defending your back? Have they fallen asleep? Are they taking a nap? What's going on? But when you're, when you're back to back and up close, you feel the protectedness of the rear guard of a paraclete. That is the word the scriptures use that God gave us to describe the Holy Spirit's function in us. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you right where you are. And then, uh, and then I'm going to ask you a question. There are some of you who've never surrendered your life to Jesus, and we want you to, to take a big step today. But before we do that, I want to pray for all of us because we've got a whole landscape of unfamiliarity or uncertainty about the ghost. I just want you to know that it is my deep prayer as I've approached this series that all of us would be saying, I'm ready to be ghosted. I, I want the ghost. I want, I want to be ghosted. I, I want him to show up. I want him to, to bring all that he has. I want every treat, every, every, every gift, every moment that, that the Holy Spirit, the ghost brings, and I want it. That's been my prayer. Let me pray for you right now. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, I thank you for, for all the ways that you're already at work, all the things that you've done, all the purposes that you're playing out, all the ways that you're moving, all the, the power that's taking place. God, I thank you for your, your ministry to 
people, not just in our church, but in our region and in the, in the nation and the world, God, that you are bringing and drawing people by your spirit unto yourself, that there is revival taking place, a hunger that's rising up, a seeking you like never before, God, that, that there are people who are saying more than anything and in, in, in any time, I need to know the God of the universe. I can't control what's going on. The, the, the things that are going on around me are unsettling and I have no control, but I know and believe and seek and surrender to him who has the whole world in his hands, the God of the universe. And so, Lord, as we acknowledge and surrender once again to the full measure of your authority and power, I'm asking right now that, God, you are stirring us and drawing us by the Holy Spirit to be more involved, engaged, and intimately surrendered to the full measure of the Holy Spirit. God, where we've seen him as weird, would you clear up our eyes that we see him as beautiful? God, where we've seen him as, as, as past tense, we would recognize that he's been part of the entire story that you've been writing on the earth from creation to now. And God, our invitation to be ghosted in all that comes with it, God, we want that and I pray that for every person who's watching right now, God. Right where you are, I just want you to say it right now. Just whisper it, just say, I wanna be ghosted. I just wanna be ghosted. Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. Just wanna be ghosted. God, all that you have for me by your Holy Ghost, I want it right now. Now, if, you're, if you've never surrendered to Jesus, I want to take a minute and help you do that. It's very simple. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And uh, in that prayer, you're going to declare your dependence on Christ and ask for forgiveness of sins. Those are the, the key things to accepting the gift of grace made possible because of Jesus. So say this prayer right after me. Go ahead and repeat it. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for sending him. I thank you that he died for me. And I thank you for raising him back to life just for me. Today, God, I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Would you make me new because of Jesus and not my good works? And today, Jesus, I surrender to you. I call you my Lord and I call you my Savior. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.